Welcome to Future of Journalism, a podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. I'm Rasmus Nielsen, Director of the Institute. In this episode, we're looking at the role of opinion writing within journalism, including the place of opinion journalism specifically in the news media, in a world where many of us have many different ways of expressing our opinions and reading others' opinions, including on social media. To discuss this and more, I'm joined today by Karen Etia. Karen is a Washington Post columnist writing on international affairs, culture, and human rights issues. She previously worked for the Associated Press and joined the Post in 2014, first as a digital producer in the opinion section, later as global opinions editor, where, amongst other things, she edited Jamal Khashoggi before he was murdered inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. She's won numerous awards for her work and has written recently about many issues, including missing white girl syndrome, performative social justice, white backlash, and much more. As I wrote to her when inviting her to come on the podcast, to be honest, I'm personally kind of fatigued with opinion journalism, and our research from the Reuters Institute suggests much of the public is too and feels there is far too much opinion uh, in the news. But I would like to have a renewed appreciation of the genre and its values, and I can't think of a better way to do that than to learn more from Karen about how she sees the value of the genre. Karen, welcome, and thank you for being with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Erasmus. This will be this will be fun. This will be an interesting conversation. Great. Um, let's make it interesting. Um, let's maybe start from the top. Um, I mean, if you if a, if a reader asked you to explain the difference between opinion journalism and news reporting, how would you respond to that question? Yeah, it's it's a good question, and I I think um, one that even we within our industry need to remind ourselves um, of. So, from a I think a very basic standpoint, um, news journalism often uh, is supposed to be uh, unbiased. It's supposed to take in all of the different sides of a particular issue, um, and the reporter or writer isn't supposed to clearly have a bias or, or an opinion or make value judgments on the information that they're that they're reporting. Um, often their job is to collect the opinions and the viewpoints and the analysis of others and then uh, and then put that together for a uh, basically a, a the, the basic um, answering the questions of the who, what, when, where, why, and all of that. It's others' jobs to perhaps interpret what that news story or, or nugget of information or, or that new development means in a broader context. But at a very nuts and bolts basic level, um, I think that's what that's what news reporting uh, is. Uh, so when it comes to opinion journalism, I think opinion journalism. Uh, we are in in that sphere. We are building upon what the news gathering is, and we see the news gathering, and then we have more freedom to put that into a broader context, right? So, um, a reporter reports uh, man bites dog, <laughs> and that is that is just the facts. There's no value judgment about it. Um, on the opinion journalism side, we might say. Um, man bites dog again, but here's why this matters, or here's why this doesn't matter, or here's why the increased rates of man, man, men biting dogs 
is um, is why our society is about to collapse in the apocalypse. You know what I mean? So that's that's way beyond the bounds of what a news reporter um, is supposed to do. Um, so I think at a very again basic level, like reporters gather the news, curate it. They do frame it in a way. But again, the, the, the personal judgments, the value judgments, the even moral judgments um, by the author, by the reporter are left out. And opinion journalists are able to, again, build off of that news gathering and then add judgments, framing, uh, context, illumination, and, and perhaps push it forward and, and give the space to even ask more questions, perhaps, to, to build on that. But I believe that solid opinion journalism is built on solid news gathering. I, I think the two uh, feed off of each other and we as opinion journalists couldn't do what we do if it wasn't for uh, great news reporting. Would it be fair to say that what you describe is um, in part opinion writers doing the things that news reporters might turn to sources for? provide analysis that interprets the events of the day, uh, provide moral judgment of the events of the day, um, that in a sense these are journalists are taking on a role that uh, news reporters primarily would ask sources to play. Yeah, I think that's that's in some case true. Um, and, you know, news reporters are, are often turning to, to experts, to academics, to um, to doctors, to to specialists to get their to get their interpretation. Um, now, I think what is interesting about opinion journalism today is that there is more space for even those experts or academics or, or analysts to be able to more broadly explain their views um, rather than just being reduced to, you know, a line or two in a quote in a piece. Uh, right. So um, and, and also um, and I think this is one thing that people tend to not appreciate or understand, um, very often opinion journalists, um, particularly, I mean, at the Washington Post, very often we were reporters. Um, we do know how to gather information as well. And often uh, we come to uh, journalism, you know, we've, we've had our beats, uh, we've had our news reporting beats, and often that's how over time we've built up uh, the sources and the networks. And, you know, we're not claiming expertise. At the end of the day, we are writers, but we do over time build up a certain well of, of knowledge um, in our particular areas of interest that uh, we do draw upon. So this idea that opinion journalism, good opinion journalism, I'll say, good opinion journalism also has an element of reporting. Um, I do reporting for, for my columns, my, my colleagues, uh, Catherine Rimpel, great reporter um, for the New York Times and often you know you see in her columns writing on the economy that she too is, is reporting uh, and going out and, and seeking facts as well. It's just that we are given the space to be able to organize the information uh, differently, reframe um, and, and add voice, add style, add uh, frankly <laughs> a bit of personality perhaps um, and then sometimes to make things a bit more human and, and relatable so that people can digest um, digest the news a little easier. I think it would be really interesting to hear a bit more from you on one of the things you just highlighted, uh, which is that, you know, with social media, with, 
you know, blogs and personal websites uh, with a bewildering array of newsletters, including from people who aren't themselves journalists, but experts or, uh, or, or other individuals. Um, it sounds like a lot of what you describe opinion journalist offering is being offered in abundance uh, by many other actors, including actors that journalists would often turn to as sources, whether because they're experts, whether because they are um, authoritative institutions, whether they are people who have lived experience uh, and who are narrating that and, uh, and sharing that in public. Um, if there is such an abundance of opinion and so many different ways to sort of share opinions and analysis with wide audiences, what, what is the value of opinion from news publishers specifically? Uh, why would organizations that I think often are committed to the idea of seeking truth and reporting it as the sort of core of their identity and their purpose in the world, why it's important that they specifically invest also in opinion journalism? Yeah, look, one thing one thing people have to realize um, in general is that um, look, we are we are selling a product, we are a business, and opinion journalism is part of the journalism information products that an institution like the Post or the Times um, is offering. Um, I think that uh, I mean two things. Um, I think that opinion journalism, uh, again, going back to the fact that I think great opinion journalism is often um, based on reporting, based on still talking to people, still based on, on getting as close to the story as possible, that there's an element of what institutions provide is that, you know, I can say, well, my story, my institution, first of all, gives me the, the uh, you know, financial runway to be able to, to do the reporting, to be able to, I have a, you know, editors, copy editors, lines of basically quality control um, that, uh, that perhaps a lone blogger um, on a platform who's, who's also having to, you know, churn out a whole bunch of pieces doesn't have two or three or four or five different pairs of eyes on a particular piece just doesn't have. So I think part of uh, what we're offering is saying that like, look, you see this one opinion piece and yes, maybe it has my byline on it, but really in reality, maybe six people's labor has gone into that. So you can expect that there's a certain level of quality um, in that. And I think that's also true for, for news reporting as well. And so that is, that is the advantage to, to being with um, a large institution. Now, um, that, that said, I mean, I think it's also just a part of being part of a, a, a larger team helps you to sharpen your arguments. I see a lot of lazy, mediocre writing and thoughts that and, and plenty of scandals, honestly, where people just say, you know what, did anybody else look at that? Who did who did they think? would think that that was a good idea before hitting click and publish. And um, and you see a lot of that. And I think a lot of that is probably why a lot of people start to lump us all in with that group. Um, but honestly, I mean, I think for me, one uh, huge, 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 huge advantage and benefit and frankly privilege um, that I recognize I have is that uh, there is there's so much that goes behind the scenes of, of making an opinion uh, piece. Um, I'm constantly checked on my facts, checked on my sources, checked on my even like, am I being a, is this a fair characterization or is this fair language to use? And 
and being able to, to bat those ideas around. So I, again, would say, I think maybe perhaps institutions, maybe I've talked about this with uh, other colleagues who are kind of in the opinion journalism industry, perhaps we could do a better job of explaining to people just like what the literal value of the product that they're getting. Like I think some news organizations have started adding um, not just the author's byline and the reporter's byline, but, you know, edited by credits. Uh, some I've seen some places that even put a price tag to you know, how much it costs to produce XYZ uh, piece of investigative journalism. I think perhaps we could do a little more to signal just how much work goes into into producing um, journalism, uh, whether it's opinion or news. Um, that being said, um, I agree. I mean, it, it does. There is a lot of just lazy, uninformed takes out there. Uh, and I think readers, I think there could be so much more to be done with trying to educate on what makes a valuable op-ed, what makes a valuable piece of, of journalism, what makes a persuasive essay. Um, but uh, but again, I, I will say that uh, just because something is labeled an opinion journalism doesn't mean, don't forget that like journalism is actually happening. There is fact-checking. There is, there should be fact-checking. There should be um, a clear sense that that writer, that author has at least acknowledged or, or engaged with the other side to the argument, even if they don't agree. And, um, but yeah, a strong, a strong point of view and, uh, and a certain uh, voice, I think, to it. Um, and it's, it's not easy to do. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do it consistently and do it well. But it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think one um, perhaps prejudiced uh, uh, criticism of some opinion journalism uh, could be that it uh, cynically could be interpreted as a cheap and predictable alternative to expensive and unpredictable original reporting. Um, and that in particular, uh, if some of the opinion writers in a title um, you know, hold very predictable uh, points of view that may be aligned with the views of many of the core readers, that it's an sort of easy way to keep hardcore loyal readers happy uh, by sort of giving them just more of the same uh, and very few sort of surprises and very little that will rub the readers uh, the wrong way. But what I hear you telling me is that really um, what you see as the value here is that um, unlike a sort of a, a you know, a situation in which a private citizen Nelson expresses his views uh, online, which is entirely of his own account, and no one sort of stands by him or invests in him. Um, when uh, Karen Attia uh, writes for the Washington Post, you know, it's a job, and you're a professional, and you have the backing of an institution that invests in your work and stands by your work and has skin in the game, in the sense that, you know, you have skin in the game and that your professional reputation is online, but the post has skin in the game as well, in the sense that the post is, you know, putting its name uh, on on what you publish. Is that a is that a sort of fair interpretation of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So then um, you know, then that that leads to the the bigger questions of uh, you know, who news institutions decide to invest in and stand by. And and I'm sure, you know, I have I have uh, you know, 
colleagues throughout the industry who might not always, you know, agree with with what uh, with what I say, but um, but I think I think the task is to um, is you know I'm 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 on the younger side. I'm a daughter of West African immigrants. I'm um, sometimes I, I get people who react to me who say, "Oh, I, I didn't expect you to be at the." Washington Post, like that I don't quote unquote look the part, which is uh, very often a um, an older older white male, right? So I think to one big advantage I think in the opinion sphere now is that we are seeing so many more voices that traditionally were left out, um, and not just left out, but actively excluded from these institutions and from these pages whose uh, opinions were not sought after, whose opinions were and viewpoints and expertise and knowledge were disregarded. Uh, so I, I think that, um, I think in many ways, especially as, as the US, we've seen so much over the last several years with, with Black Lives Matters, with, um, uh, with more push for social justice, climate justice. Um, I think there's a realization that hey, maybe we've been listening to the wrong people for a very long time. And, uh, you know, as, as we have here in the States, you know, um, people who are, who are looking at what's happening with, um, say, access to, access to reproductive health, um, again, back to the climate, and, you know, kind of jokingly saying, wow, maybe we should have been listening to women of color this whole time. And many of us are like, you think? All right, great. Let us have the mic. Um, I don't know, there's something to be said for uh, multiple systems falling apart and maybe only now, uh, you know, indigenous people, black people, um, people of color are being given the mic because things seem like they're falling apart. But, um, you know, that's, that's a topic for another day. But again, I, I think that there is there is value to the fact that we have, frankly, frankly, a bit more democracy um, in the sense that there's room for more voices does it mean the discourse is as neat and organized as perhaps it used to be when the same gatekeepers were in charge no but i i don't particularly see that as a horribly bad thing um i again see that the the gates are are opening up ever so slightly but i think that's better than than basically having uh one or two groups the same voices perhaps dominating our discourse. I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear for anyone who, who takes the sort of historical record seriously and, and has ever bothered to do content analysis that many news media historically have been, you know, produced by uh, affluent, privileged white uh, men like myself, uh, about affluent, privileged white middle, you know, men like myself, and for uh, you know affluent, privileged white men like myself uh, in in much of the world. And in case one didn't have enough white men in all the news, then you could also turn to the opinion pages and get another serving uh, of uh, the same types of of, of voices uh, speaking up. Um, and I, I mean, I think you offer a, a a very hopeful, but perhaps also a quite charitable interpretation of how much that has changed. I mean. You've spoken publicly uh, often about the sort of pushback against what I think you've called the interpreter class, the sort of foreign correspondents and think tankers who are tasked with explaining foreign events to white Americans, essentially. 
Um, how much progress do you feel that the American news industry in this case has made in um, giving the mic to uh, other voices on the opinion pages and the ones that are already so prominently featured in the daily news record recording? Yeah, um, <laughs> charitable is a, is a good way to, to put it. Like we have a, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot. It's, it, there's still so much more to be done. And, and look, I, I think and, and have said and, and will keep saying um, just having representation, it's a step, but it's not enough. I would absolutely like to see numbers of, of writers, of, of editors of color that represent more accurately what our national or, or global demographic really is. Um, you know, uh, speaking to somebody who's from the sort of more kind of international diaspora community, when, you know, I'm called a minority, I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> when it comes to the scope of the world. I'm the minority on this call. The, yeah, you know, but it, but it's about power, right? It, it's not about, it's not about, uh, you know, lack of, of, of intelligence or, or expertise. It's about, um, frankly, white men holding the power and the keys to these uh, to the kingdom of this discourse. So, uh, it, frankly, um, there's evidence that actually in, in newsrooms that diversity has actually gotten worse over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. And so now, you know, we've seen since since the George Floyd protests and and all that uh, there have been a lot of promises and a lot of rhetoric, a lot of um, restructuring and and you know hiring and which is great. Um, at the same time, what needs to be seen um, and what needs to happen is that the power needs to be shared. Frankly, um, that there needs to be white men who are willing to step back, give up power, um, take up a little less space, so that um, those of us who also have knowledge and also have skills and expertise can help and frankly, you know, can, can help us do our jobs better. I don't look at it as some sort of luxury. I don't think, look at it as some sort of like nice thing to put on the brochure. I look at it as it's a direct impact on the quality of our work. Frankly, news that's produced only for and by like white rich men. I don't think that's a quality product because it doesn't accurately serve. It doesn't adequately, excuse me, serve um, the readership. And to a certain extent, maybe some people are turning off uh, their ears because they don't see themselves represented in these pages. They don't see people who've come from backgrounds where they didn't go to Ivy League schools or where they are first generation immigrants. They don't see that. So they're perhaps tired of the pages for a different reason than you are, um, for the fact that they feel like these institutions aren't even trying to, to cater to them. And so I think to an extent that's that's a, a part of the, the huge problem is, in which, you know, those of us who are, are in position, I think for me, for even for my writing and my reporting, I hope that um, people can feel seen. Um, those who, who come from perhaps the communities that I come from um, and, and even some of the communities that I don't come from, but that I know have been, uh, not served well, uh, that I hope, not that I hope it's my job, 
again, it's not a luxury, it's my job to serve them as well. So, uh, so I think that that gets to uh, a different sort of levels of failures um, when it comes to, to journalism and opinion journalism. Who haven't we served? Who have we refused to serve all this time? And now that people are more aware and demanding to be served, it's our jobs to do it. I mean, I would just say that uh, there are reams of research, you know, that document the problems you describe. That there are many parts of the public who don't feel uh, represented in the news media, who don't feel that the news media understand their lived experience, uh, who don't feel that the news media uh, respects and reflects, uh, you know, people like them and, and like their communities. Um, and I don't think we can say that opinion journalism is entirely innocent uh, of, uh, of that. I mean, um, I know that uh, about half a century ago, John Oakes, um, who created the first op-ed page at the New York Times, uh, wrote that he felt the newspaper most effectively fulfills its social and civic responsibilities by challenging authority, acting independently, and inviting dissent. Um, I mean, as both a cynic, uh, might say that in practice, opinion journalists sometimes end up amplifying authority, uh, you know, giving a platform for those who already have power, um, and only um, uh, presents dissent within the sort of stale repartee of uh, sort of predictable left-right political uh, positions. Um, I mean, why do you think it's been so difficult, if it is so, uh, for opinion journalism to sort of uh, pursue the principles that have been put so clearly by yourself and, and, and other generations of, of journalists who care about the importance of journalism, uh, of opinion in, in, in our craft. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's definitely, again, a, a culture, a sort of dogma of, of journalism, um, and it's called uh, this sort of idea of both sides, um, left, right, black, white, um, and that somehow we're supposed to be, we're supposed to pretend that we're all neutral, that we have this view from nowhere, which honestly, uh, given um, the power asymmetries in between communities, between various social groups, racial groups, is simply the ability to, to, to be neutral in the sandbag is, is a luxury that only the privileged can afford. And I think if we look back through history, particularly like civil rights history in, in the US, that there's a very strong tradition, for instance, of the black press, which um, not only covered lynchings, uh, civil rights leaders, movements that the white press did not, but also used those pages to forcefully advocate for, for justice. Um, so I think when we, when we do talk about I think it's very easy to talk about journalism, big J, big tent journalism, um, without also understanding and and disentangling that at least again, at least in this country, there has always been a tradition of advocacy of of columnists who have used their platforms to, for instance, um, go into into communities and and report on them and then advocate for the policies that would help those communities that you know they they spent time with. Uh, so I guess I, I again I, I think that um, what we do need is first of all I think even as within us as an industry to 
to clearly like elucidate the standards that we have should have even sometimes I, I find myself um, thinking that it seems like news reporters also have this bad sense that opinion journalism is just us you know waking up one day and just having thoughts and putting them out there but uh, but at least you know for me and the writers that I've worked with it is it is a rigorous it is still a rigorous uh, process and we are thinking about um, how do we how do we help people um, digest, contextualize? I think a lot of readers, a lot of people are looking to, to understand how they should think about the news that's coming their way, how they should organize their thoughts. And me personally, I can only speak for myself. I often write in a way that says, I don't necessarily have all the answers. What I'm doing is I'm, I too am processing the different sides of an event of, of a certain person's statements and trying to make sense of it. And I'm inviting you as a reader along that journey with me. Eventually we'll all figure it out, figure it out together. That's just personally, you know, my, my, my style. Um, but I look, it, it's, 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 I think we as humans, we as humans want to know what other humans think. <laughs> we like to get inside, inside, inside their brains. But, you know, I, I think for me, you know, I, I at least can promise to, to people who, who read me that, uh, that I have done the homework. I have done as much reading, as much speaking to, to people as I possibly can under deadline, mind you. I think people should appreciate that we don't often give ourselves two to three weeks to think about what we should think about the Facebook outage that happened yesterday. Our jobs are to try to come up with something usually pretty quickly. Uh, so, um, but yeah, we're all a part of this process of kind of understanding and processing and organizing and making sense of, of this world. And we're not always gonna get it right. Um, I have, I've had to even, you know, have to revisit my positions on certain things in the past publicly and um, being able to say, you know what, I didn't quite look at this correctly that time. Here's how I've, I've evolved in it. And I wish journalists, more journalists had more courage to do that. I also think that I, I do think I wish there was more, as you said, Rasmus, uh, quality. I wish there was more courage, frankly, to to go against um, established dogma to to really challenge authority to not just sit and take down um, without you know critique criticism of what people in power say and I count people in power as not just politicians but frankly um, <laughs> frankly I think uh, I don't know when I wrote something criticizing Beyonce I, I think I got a lot of messages of people asking whether or not I was like digitally okay because they were so afraid of her fan base you know that that goes in and silences criticism um so i think our job again and and not just as opinion journalists but i i really uh am guided by the fact that our job is to hold the power to account and i would like to see more of that um instead of i think what we're seeing sometimes which is uh Cozying to power, being adjacent to power, and I get it. It's uh, it's attractive, and it's it's got it's a particular currency in in a certain way of doing things in the journalism world. But uh, but I think our job is is 
as the saying goes, is to um, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And I think for, for opinion journalism, we have a special runway to be able to say, yeah, this person X of importance said this or does this, but it's not right. It's not right. It's not true. It's not, it's harmful. Um, and we also have the power to say um, this afflicted person or afflicted community deserves uh, support, deserves, deserves more power in, in their own lives. So I, I'm pretty, if you have to say, I'm pretty kind of black and white when it comes, when it comes to that and how I choose, how I choose stories. I'm not interested in amplifying um, uh, just sort of lazily amplifying folks who who already have the power who already have the platform um what's more interesting is are, are are those who don't and and how to i guess trying to balance the power as much as we can a little bit if that all makes sense as, as opinion journalists if i can help tell the story of somebody whose whose story might not get out there um because um the city or the school board or the police union has more allies, more friends, more money. If I can help balance that power a little bit through an opinion journalism and tell people this person is who you should be paying attention to, then I feel like I've done my job. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Uh, I can't think of a better place to end than with what is one of my personal sort of favorites. Uh, descriptions of the purpose of journalism. I'm so glad that you uh, that you highlighted that. Um, our guest today was uh, Karen Attire, columnist uh, at the Washington Post, made up of equal parts curiosity, courage, uh, humility, and a commitment to reporting. Uh, Karen, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, make sure to follow our podcast channel on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss the next episodes. If you don't want to miss any news from the Institute, Subscribe to our weekly newsletter by clicking the link on our Twitter buyer or on our homepage. Thank you again, Karen, for joining us, and thanks for listening to The Future of Journalism. I'm Rasmus Nilsson. We'll be back soon. <laughs>